Good morning, family. It's good to be with you. My name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor of Grace Covenant Church Sterling here, and it's a pleasure to be able to be with you and spend some time in the Word. Uh, before we get into the Word, I want to mention a, a few things. First of all, uh, I'm excited to announce that we are opening up applications for a Leadwell. Uh, we are Leadwell is our, our leadership development program at Grace Covenant Church. It's the way to equip you to be uh, ministerially, doctrinally, and biblically prepared for ministry. This is for our lay leaders. This is a prerequisite uh, for anyone who wants to be on staff or, or become an elder. It's not a guarantee, but it's, it's a first step. It's a necessary first step, and it is really a great program to grow in your ability to lead uh, and also to have your, your theological acumen go up a level. So I want to encourage you, if you have any interest in leadership at Grace Covenant Church, or, or if you want to grow in leadership in your other spheres of influence, whether it's, it's professionally or, or it's in your household, you can do that through this program. It's a two-year program. I know that sounds intense, but it's, it's good, and we have a four semesters. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah, four semesters that we go through, and, and you cover a great deal of, of content w- between Bible, theology, even uh, homiletics, how to preach. It's, it's an amazing program. I happen to be the director, so love for you to get involved. If you want more information about it, you can register for our informational session on July 12th. It's, it's virtual, so you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to get dressed. You can just be at your house, and, and you can join us, but you would need to register at gracecovste.eventbrite.com. If you don't know, or if you, you lose that URL, you can go to our website, gracecove.org, and you can find that information there. Second of all, I'm excited to announce that we are going, we're going to be going through July and August through another Bible journey. This is going to be our summer series. We are going to be taking uh, you guys, we're going to all be going through the entire Bible. And when I say that, I don't actually mean the entire Bible. We are going to be going through important, uh, the whole Bible is important, but uh, significant moments in the Bible from Genesis, creation, fall, uh, the Exodus, uh, the, the, the kings and so forth, all the way to Revelation. So we're going to go through July and August, about 40 days, five days a week, um, where we will have an opportunity to see the development of, of God's redemptive plan from Genesis to Revelation. It's going to be an amazing moment for, for all of us, and especially if you've never really stepped through the Bible and seen that development happen. And, and maybe you have, maybe you've read the Bible over a period of two years. This is going to be a good moment for you to get a, a condensed uh, view of, of a panoramic view of what God is doing. So I would encourage you to be involved. If you are interested in that, just, just stay tuned to our website, gracecove.org, and our socials on Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, and, and we're going to be putting out information about how you can get involved with that as well. It's going to be really neat. Well, as we, as we consider the text for today, I wanted to ask a question. What, what would it look like if Jesus came and worshiped with us? What would it look like if Jesus came and worshiped with us? And, and I'd like to imagine, not us in this context where we're watching online, but imagine us meeting together at Dominion High School and, and having the worship moment and, and people being in the auditorium, paying attention, uh, uh, worshiping God and us being on stage, what would it look like for Jesus to be involved? How would he respond to the way that we worship, to, to what we do, why we do what we do? What would he think of it? And so I wanted to look at a passage today that will give us a glimpse into how Jesus feels about worship, what he feels about proper and pure worship. 
So if you will read with me, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, uh, John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Read along with me. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are gracious to us, that you condescend to us, that even though you're a transcendent God outside of creation, you've chosen to incarnate yourself through your son, Jesus Christ, and, and you've given out your love and your, your, your kindness to us. And yet, Lord, we recognize that there is a, a proper way to approach you. There's a proper way to, to live our lives in relationship to you, that our worship is not ours to determine, it's not ours to, to shape and mold, but, but when we are to worship you, we are to worship you the way you would like to be worshiped. So Lord, would you help us to see what it looks like to be zealous for you, to be zealous for pure worship, and to be zealous for your purposes. God, make us a people who are zealous for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as, as we consider this story, I wanted to, to just begin to imagine what this situation would have been like. Jesus is a good Jewish man, and so he is going to the Passover. Uh, this is one of the three festivals that is required of every Jewish man, and, and ostensibly the, the families as well, to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And the Passover was this moment where the Jews would remember the, the salvation of God from slavery in Egypt, how on the, the last night, with the last plague, the angel of death came through Egypt and, and he passed over any houses that had been daubed with, with the blood of, of, a, of a sheep that signified that this was, a, this was a, a, an Israelite household. And so they would celebrate Passover annually and would rem- remember the salvation of God. And so we see that that. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. Everyone went up to Jerusalem because it was on a, a mountain and because it was the place, it was the center of, of Israel. It was the, the city, the, the capital of Israel, in the same way that everyone goes up to Washington, D.C. So they went up to Jerusalem. And he, he enters the temple. And, and sometimes when we think of this, we think of him entering into uh, the the building itself. But when, when John speaks of the temple, he's really talking about all that entum- encompassed the whole temple area. And the temple area not only included the temple itself, where, where sacrifices were made and where the priests served, but also the, the surrounding courts. And there was the, a temple of, or there was a temple court of the Gentiles. This was the place where the Gentiles, non-Jews, non, uh, could come and worship. God-fearing individuals who, who were not Jewish in, in, uh, in the ethnicity could come and worship. And it was in this court area outside the actual temple itself that we, we see Jesus entering, and what does he see? 
he sees what seems and sounds probably like a state fair. There's, there's bustling, there's movement, there's animals, there's sheep and, and, uh, and cattle, and, and there are pigeons, and there are people calling out numbers and prices. This is a, it's a marketplace. And so as he's looking around, he's becoming more and more upset and more and more uh, frustrated and angry about the state of affairs in this situation. It's, it would be as though uh, you entered into church where we, there should be prayer and worship, but instead you've got people calling out prices and, and offering wares and saying, you can buy this for only $9.99. You know, and so he's looking around expecting and, and, and thinking that, that this should be a place where, where Gentiles, people outside the nation of God, whom God is trying to reach and, and draw into his people, should be able to, to be somber and, and thoughtful and prayerful. And this should be a moment where they can, they can commune with God. And yet here he's hearing all of this noise and seeing all of this profanity and, and recognizing the fact that, that they are not worshiping as they ought to worship. So he responds methodically and, and significantly it says in uh, verse 15, he, making a whip of cords, he drove out, drove them, talking about the, the livestock, all out of the temple. So this is not a rash move. This is not a, a he doesn't fly off the handle. He, he methodically puts together a, a, a whip of cords, and this is not cruel because really these are, these are large, uh, these are large livestock animals, and they have to be there's a lot of effort that has to go into getting them to move in a, in a direction. And so he, he takes those animals out of the courts, and at the same time, because he doesn't want to free the pigeons, he tells the, the, uh, those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Likely they would have been in cages, and see, so he tells them, take these things away. He ushers all of these animals out. And in the midst of this, the disciples are watching, and they see their teacher doing something that really very few people have the authority to do. Uh, Jesus is walking into this temple area and acting like he owns the place, acting like this is his temple, acting like he belongs here and he gets to determine who is in and who is out. And in this moment, the disciples remember a psalm, Psalm 69, verse 9, and, and, and it says that he zeal for your house will consume me. And they remember the words of Christ. or the Well, it is the words of Christ, but the words of David. And there are three things that I want to, to point out in this story, three things that I think it's important for us to, to recognize. First of all, we need to see that Jesus is acting as the Messiah, the chosen king, and uh, the one who is from God. Jesus is Messiah. This is important because he is not just doing, he's not just commenting on the state of affairs in, in the worship service. He's not just saying, hmm, this is, this is not great. You guys might consider changing some things. No, he's, he takes decisive action as one who has authority over the temple. He takes decisive action as one who can dictate what does and doesn't happen. And as a side note, I should have mentioned this before, uh, the, the, the money changers and, and, and the 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 people who were selling 
the, the sacrificial animals, they weren't doing bad things in the money changing and the, the selling of the sacrificial animals. And in this instance, there, there are two instances in, I, I believe, there are two instances in, in the Gospels where we see that Jesus, he cleanses the temple. There, there's one at the beginning of his ministry and one at the end of his ministry. Some commentators think it's one. Um, I, I tend to believe it's two. Uh, and he addresses two different issues. And here in the beginning of his ministry, we see that he's addressing the fact that they have encroached upon the place of worship. The issue isn't so much that they are doing these things. The Bible had allowed for, for sacrifices, for sacrificial animals to be sold and for money to be tr- uh, changed so that, that people could give in, in the proper um, currency to the, the temple. But what the problem was, was they were not supposed to do it there. And in fact, they were supposed to do it kind of across the street, uh, in, uh, across the, I think it was the Kidron Valley, but, but around the Mount of Olives. They were supposed to be outside the temple area. And so here we see that Jesus addresses the fact that they instead have invaded really the place of worship and have, have taken what should have been pure worship and, and made it profane. Jesus is dealing with their profane worship, and he's doing so as the Messiah, as, as the only one who can address their need for redemption. Secondly, we need to recognize that Jesus is, as I said before, correcting the fact that they have turned the temple into a place of convenient commerce. It should be a place of pure worship, but it has become a place of convenient commerce because they should not be in this area. And then finally, we should see that, that Jesus is zealous. He's passionate for pure worship, worship that obeys God's commands and protects God's glory. You see, the Gentiles should have been able to come into an atmosphere where they were faced with the holiness and the glory of God, where they could be undistracted from the fact that they needed a mediator between them and God, and the temple courts were, were the place where they were allowed to find that mediation. But instead, they, they, they found markets, and they found commerce, and they found, uh, oh, this one looks nice, and I'm going to buy this one, and oh, that one's on sale, and, and, and they, they were distracted from the, the purpose for which they were there. So we see that Jesus is passionate about worship. Now, we might stop here and say, okay, well, that's, that's a great story, Pastor Eddie, but what does that have to do with me? The reality is you and I, we don't go to the temple to worship. Um, right now, we don't, even go to, <laughs> we don't even go to a church building to worship. Uh, we will get there. Uh, but, but so what is the connection? We don't we don't necessarily, we are, most of us are Gentiles, so we would find ourselves in the Gentile court, but that is no longer a thing. So what does this have to do with us? Well, what Jesus was doing was a prophetic display of his passion for worship. The issue wasn't just of locale or location, but it was an issue of the fact that, that God had set up a purpose and a way for him to be worshiped in that area, and, and the people had, had strayed away from that. In the same way, we find ourselves in the New Testament recognizing and post uh, the, the crucifixion and the, the resurrection, we find ourselves in a situation where God has ordained a, a means and a way that God wants to be worshipped, and, and he, he wants the temple to be treated. Now, what is the temple? The temple was supposed to point to this place of intersection between God and man, and in the Old, Old Testament, it was a physical location. You know, you had these altars throughout the Old Testament. You had the tabernacle, the place where, where the presence of God, the cloud of glory would, would descend. You had the, 
you know, Mount, where, where Moses went up and, and spent time with God, these, these points, these physical locations where, where God and his glory and his presence and humanity intersected. But in the New Testament, we see after Acts 2 that, that this, this intersection happens in the body of Christ, in the people of God, in individuals. And we see Paul talk about it in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 21, he talks about the fact that, that we, the body of Christ, are now the temple of God. He says this, You are no longer strangers and aliens talking to the Gentile believers who, would, who have been brought out from uh, being, being separate from Israel, but have been brought in through Jesus Christ. And he says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom, listen to this, the whole structure being joined together grows into what? A holy temple in the Lord. You see, in Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when you and I trust in Christ, it's not just this vertical, I'm going to trust in God and my relationship is with him. No, there's this horizontal relationship where we all are being brought together and becoming the temple of God, the place at which the presence, the power, the glory of God intersects with humanity. And so we see in this New Testament uh, reality that, that what Jesus was prophesying through his actions has now been brought forth to us, that we are his temple. Now the question is, if you, are in, you and I are his temple, what is his zeal for us? What does that look like? Well, God demands that our worship be pure, that, that we not sacrifice pure uh, devotion to God's commands and his glory for the sake of convenience. You see, at, at the, the core of what Jesus was trying to address in the temple and what he wants to address in you and me even now is this wrong attitude. When we approach Christianity, when we approach God, when we approach church, I hear so often when we approach church and I, pe- see, I hear people talk about church, they, they ask the question, um, does this work for me? How does this work for me? You know, I think... Uh, a prime example of this is I grew up in predominantly white churches, and, and I'm thankful for the fact that I grew up in, in, a, faith, in a faith-filled family, that I, I was taught the gospel, that I, I trusted in Jesus Christ in an early age, and I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters that, that I got to spend time with. But, but at, at the core of, of some of my approach to, to the church was this idea of, I want, I want convenience, I want to feel comfortable. I want to feel like uh, everything is, is catered around me and my desires. And, and what I was doing was very similar to what, what the, the, the people in the temple were doing. I was pursuing convenience. Now, they were pursuing convenient commerce, but I was pursuing my own comfort. And then I find myself in, in 2006, I've, I've married my wife and we're going to the, you know, the church of her father-in-law and we're like, well, let's just go do that. And, and I'm now uh, around a multicultural, multi-ethnic church with an African-American pastor. That's a new experience for me. And, and I feel certain levels of discomfort. There are moments where I don't feel like this feels comfortable. The music is not, uh, you know, a white guy playing good acoustic guitar and, and singing, you know, Acapella songs, it's, it's different. There's, there's now keys and, and the sounds of organs, and, and it's different. But this was a moment to recognize that pure worship 
is not worship that is oriented around my own convenience. It's worship that honors and glorifies God. And, and specifically, what was being honored and glorified in that moment, and what we seek to honor and glorify, is the multicultural nature, the multi-ethnic nature of the gospel, that God came to save both Jew and Gentile, Greek, and, and et cetera, and so forth. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Latino, name it. God wants us to worship in a way that reflects pure worship. At the heart of what God wants to address is is a casual attitude towards God, a disregard for the fact that God is holy, that he's separate, he's different, he's morally perfect, and we are not. An attitude of convenience that, that continues to ask this question of a relationship with God, what works for me? What works for me? Now, the, the, the beauty of the gospel is that God expresses his love. The beauty of the gospel is that God says, I love you and I take you and I receive you as you are. The beauty of the gospel is that there is mercy and justice. But if we, if we just pursue mercy, if we just look at Jesus as, as a loving, kind, gentle man without recognizing that he also was holy and separate and, and passionate and zealous for the honor and glory of God, we will miss the gospel. We will miss the purpose for which we were created. We weren't just cr- were created to give hugs and kisses and to find out, you know, wh- what works for you in church? What works for you in small group? What works for you in your life? No, we were created to honor and serve a God who has a specific idea of, of what our lives should reflect. When you adjust your perspective from asking what works for me to what works for God, what needs to change in your life? What needs to change about your church attendance? I love you, family, but what needs to change about your church attendance? Do you need to go to church once a month or do you need to go to church every week because that's what God calls us to, to not forsake the, the, the fellowship of the saints? What needs to change about how you spend your money? What needs to change about how you spend your time? Instead of trying to fit God into your schedule, perhaps we need to, and myself included, we need to to change the way we view our time such that we fit everything else in to our time with God, to our devotion to God. We need to think about God in all the things that we do. Instead of just thinking of, of, okay, uh, church and Sunday mornings uh, and small group are my God time, but my time with my family, my time at work, my, my personal time, that, that's not time that God gets to touch. No, God, God touches all of your time. God touches all of your resources. He has passion for all of the you do because our lives are intended to be lives of worship. Our, our, our worship is not to be... Um, brought down to just what's what we do on Sunday mornings. It's what we do on Monday. It's what we do on Tuesday. It's what we do on Wednesday. It's what we think about. All of this is either good worship or bad worship because we are the temple. We don't stop being the temple on Monday. We don't stop being the temple on Thursday. We don't stop being the temple at 12 a.m. We are always the temple, and, and there's always an opportunity to worship God in, in our attitude and our, in our disposition toward him. You and I, if we are Christians, we comprise the temple of God. And Jesus is zealous for his temple. We cannot live casual lives of convenience and expect that God won't step in and drive off the riffraff. You can't expect to follow Jesus Christ and, and not expect that God is going to, he's going to step into it and he's going to address the worship in our lives. 
he, he's going to, in the same way that Jesus came into the temple and, and he began to, to address the issues of impure worship, to say that this doesn't belong here, this attitude doesn't belong here, something here needs to change, he's going to step into your life and my life and, recognize, and, and help us to recognize that there are some things that need to change. There are some attitudes that need to change. There's, there's some um, laxitaisical attitudes that need to change. Because God is zealous and he calls us to be a people who are zealous. Finally, my, my last question as we, as we close is, is this, we, we see Jesus being zealous. And, and the reality is we are all zealous. We are all passionate about something. Now, you may not express that passion in the same way, but we're all passionate about something. What are you zealous for? If you take an inventory of your life, what are you, where does your passion lie? John gives us this, this, this picture at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, I think to show the, the, the wholehearted zeal that, God, that Jesus had for, for the honor and glory of his Father. Jesus was, was passionate about his, and he, he says, he describes God as his Father. He's passionate about his Father because he's the Son of God. And, and John is inviting us in this to become passionate and zealous people in the same way that Jesus is zealous. And, and Paul mentions something very similar in Titus. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and following, he says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That sounds like zealous worshipful living, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That sounds like zealous living. And then listen to verse 14, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from, the lawless and from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, who are zealous for good works. If we are to take seriously this gospel, the gospel, uh, this, this salvation message of, of Jesus taking us and, and, and freeing us and from our sins, um, forgiving our, our debt to sin, giving us righteousness, it's not so that we can just go to heaven. It's not so that we can just say, okay, now what, do I, what, what should I live my life? How should I live my life on my own? No, it is so that we might live a zealous life for God. God frees us up so that we can be free to worship well. So what are you zealous for today? What are you zealous for today? If you find that your, your heart is not warm towards God, you, you're not zealous for God, my encouragement to you is that, that Scripture is given to us to remember, to remind us. It's given to us to be a coal to reignite the fire in our heart. It's given to, to us to be kindling, to, to, to build that flame in our soul. God wants you to be zealous for him, to be zealous for good works that, that reflect the glory of God, to be zealous for the kind of worship that honors and glorifies a holy God. Would you, would you join with me today in committing to be zealous for God? Let's pray. Lord God, I, I first and foremost recognize the lack in my own heart. The, the lukewarm attitudes and behaviors that, that all too often describe my life. And Lord, I repent of those things and ask that you would help me to be zealous for you, that I would not 
pursue comfort at the cost of pure worship. That I would not give up your glory for the sake of ease, for the sake of what, what works for me. But at the center of my life, I, I pray that the question would be answered, what works for you? If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the first step to, to recognizing uh, that, that God is a, a holy God and, and that your worship has to be pure and passionate is to trust in his son, Jesus Christ. As, as it says in Titus, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And that salvation, that salvation from our sin, from the, the punishment and penalty of that sin comes through faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, today is your opportunity to trust him to be your savior, to trust him to make a way to God the Father, to trust him to take away your sins, forgive your sins, give you a new life, give you new righteousness and allow you to walk in a manner that pleases God. If that's you, I, would, I just want you to pray this with me. God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin and I turn to you, trusting you, Jesus, to be my Lord, to be my master, to the one who, who der- uh, defines and directs everything in my life and to be my savior, the one who takes away my debt of sin, who takes away the penalty of sin, who, who swallows the wrath of God so that I might receive your righteousness, a righteous standing before you, a, a good standing before you. And I ask that you would help me to walk out this life of faith, trusting you more and worshiping you, worshiping you with all that I do. If you prayed that prayer, let someone in the, in the chat know. We'd love to walk along with you and encourage you and help you to grow in it. Family, we were made for more than just convenience. We were made to be a, a powerful, passionate people. Would you join me in that? Well, today, part of the, the, the passion that, that we are called to, part of the, the good works that we've been prepared for is, is loving our community well. And so we have been working hard to love our community well. In fact, last week, uh, not this past Saturday, but the one before that, we delivered a thousand bags, these just grocery bags with the giant G, G on them, Grace Covenant Church bags, into Countryside and invited our neighbors to give and this past, literally yesterday, we collected over 400 bags back. So that's over 40% of the bags that we gave out. We collected each of which carried maybe 10 pounds. So we got about 10, not 10,000, 4,000 uh, pounds of food. I think that's a ton. That's right. Two tons, two tons, two tons of food we collected. God is honored by that. That is a zealous, good work, and I'm thankful for it. If you want to take part in, in these types of zealous good works, my encouragement is you can give right now. We've been collecting this benevolence offering and all of these funds go towards these efforts to, to feed uh, those in need, to, to provide for those who can't pay their bills, um, and, and to help those in our community, ultimately so they, they might know and, and trust Jesus Christ and walk in personal relationship with him. If you would like to give, you can do so by writing a check to Grace Covenant Church and, and writing... Uh, sterling benevolence in the memo you can email not email that you can mail that to our church uh, offices or you can give online go to our website gracecov.org slash sterling click the give button or finally you can download our mobile app 
uh, in the Apple uh, Store or the Google Play Store, and you can give that way. But my encouragement is participate in this. This is a great and easy way for you to participate in, in the good works that God has planned and prepared for us. I want to pray and bless that. Lord Jesus, would you receive this offering and multiply it and allow us to be the means by which your gracious mercy flows into Sterling, Ashburn, Great Falls, Reston, Herndon, Leesburg. Lord, all along the Route 7 corridor, we we want you to be glorified through our graciousness, through our generosity. Take these these offerings and, 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 and be glorified through them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, you are amazing. God is building you into a, into a temple, and, and it's an amazing thing. And I want to I wanna pray a prayer of blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Love you, family.